You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. You know, I never get tired of quoting that scripture because we always win in Christ. I'm so glad to have you with us today. We're in my leadership edition of How to Win. And I want to inspire you. I want to equip you. I want to motivate you to operate and lead on a high level. Now, I began a great series, and I'm excited because when I'm teaching you, I am also hearing and and embracing the principles that we're learning together. I began a series entitled Leadership is Not for Wimps. That is the truth. Leadership is not for wimps. Now, the theme of this series is courage. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about having courage in leadership. Now, there are three parts to this series, and we dealt with the first part, and now we're dealing with part two, and we're talking about decision-making. And each one of these lessons have a subtopic. But this part on decision-making is entitled, Decisions Will Make You or Break You. How many know that's true? High five me. Listen, decision-making will make you or break you. Why? Because decision-making is a fundamental responsibility of leadership. Fundamental. You're making decisions all the time as a leader. And as your business or ministry or family or whoever grows, then you're going to be making even more uh, decisions. And as things grow, cost grows, hopefully money grows. So you're making serious decisions. And when you're leading people, you're influencing people. So your decisions now are weighty because your decisions are impacting the lives of others. So in order to really be a good decision maker, you have to have thick skin. And the reason you have to have thick skin is because everyone is not going to agree with your decisions. Now, here's the good thing about it, and I wanted to connect this part of the series to courage. How does my decision-making impact my level of courage? Now, follow me. As your decision-making skill increases, so will your courage increase. You're going to have more confidence as you understand the dynamics of of making decisions and, and you begin to apply the 
principles of decision-making, your courage level is going to rise because you're going to know how to think through things, say think through. You're going to be able to think through problems, think through conflict, think through uh, setbacks or disappointments. So your courage and your confidence will rise as your decision-making skills arise. However, there's no process. There is no cookie, no specific process and no cookie cutter uh, method of making good decisions. So there's no, you know, like this, 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 and you got the good decision. No, but you can establish a framework for making good decisions. And that framework should include four areas. Uh, it should include decision-making styles, decision-making traps, decision-making advisors, and then the fourth area is criticism, and we're putting criticism over into part three. So styles, traps, advisors. Styles, traps, advisors. Now, we've talked about decision-making traps in our last episode. Today, in lesson two, on the part two, decision-making, we're going to talk about decision-making traps. Decision-making traps. Decision-making traps are flaws in our thinking, flaws in our thinking that undermine our decisions, flaws in our thinking. And we want to deal with some of those flaws in our thinking uh, today. So decision-making traps, we're going to cover five in this episode, five decision-making traps. I'll give you an overview, and we're going to come back and look at each one of them. Number one, narrow framing is a trap, a decision-making trap. Confirmation bias, number three, short-term emotions, number four, dictatorship, and number five, sunk cost bias. Now, let's, let's, let's get busy with this. Narrow framing uh, trap. Each one of these traps, I'm going to give you a definition and in most cases, I will give you an example, and then we're going to give you some solutions to, to not getting into these traps. Okay. The narrow frame, uh, narrow uh, framing trap, here's a, here's a definition, is a tendency to define our choices too narrowly a tendency to define our choices too narrowly. In other words, we unduly limit our options. We unduly limit our options. When we talk about narrow framing, it is a trap in our decision-making because narrow framing is a, remember, I'm going to give you an example, is a, whether or not 
type of decision, whether I should or whether I shouldn't, whether I should or whether I shouldn't. It, it could also be uh, categorized as a either or decision, either this or that, either this or that. I'm saying that when our decisions are placed within this narrow frame of this or that, we are unduly limiting our options. I'll give you an example of narrow framing. In 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3 through 4, there were four lepers who made a decision. The historical context, this was Samaria, the Syrian army, the king of Syria and his army had come to Samaria and had surrounded the city and cut off the food supply. So the, the result of supply not being able to come into the city into the city gates, people were literally starving. Some had even resorted to cannibalism. Well, think about it. Starvation is in the city. The four lepers are outside of the city, and then the army is camped outside of the city. The lepers at the gate, the people in the city, and the enemy troops are outside of the city. So they're sitting there and they, they come to a conclusion. They ask the question to each other, why are we sitting here and dying? Why should we just sit here and die? Then they thought, if we go into the city, we're going to start with the rest of the people in the city. If we stay here, we're going to die of starvation. Well, there's another option. We can go into the enemy's camp. If the enemy uh, keeps allow us to live, we will live. If the enemy kills, kills us, we were going to die of starvation anyway. So they decided rather than to go into the city, Rather than to stay outside at the gate and starve, they decided to go in the enemy camp. And if you read the text over in 2 Kings chapter 7, you'll see that God calls a noise. The enemy heard the noise, thought it was an army coming in. They rushed out, left all their food, their clothes, their supplies there. The four lepers went out there, saw all of the food, the supplies, and the clothes, and started gathering them, and they were so excited. Then they thought to themselves, it's not good for us to keep this to ourselves. So they went back into the city, let the people know that the enemy had fled and there was plenty. And so these four lepers rescued the city. Now watch this. We're talking about narrow framing and we're talking about a tendency to define our choices too narrowly, either or choices. This or that uh, decision-making is narrow framing. So think about this. If the four leopards had decided that there are only two options, we can stay here or we can go back into the city. We can stay here 
or we can go back into the city, it would have been a bad decision either way. Their options were too narrow because there was another option. So narrow framing, narrow framing is you unduly limiting your options. Now, what is the solution? I'm going to give you some solutions to overcoming the narrow framing trap. Number one, generate, generate new options by finding someone who has solved your problem. In the business world, this is called best practices. In other words, you have a, a problem. Maybe it's a problem in your home. Maybe it's a problem at school. Maybe it's a problem at work. Maybe it's a problem at church, problem in business. Okay, find someone who has solved a problem like yours in the business world that's called best practices. Sam Walton, the founder of, uh, he founded several things, but the founder of Walmart, he says something very profound. He says most everything, this was a billionaire speaking, he says most everything I've done I've copied from someone else. Think about that. He said, most of what I've done, he was extremely successful. We still have Walmarts even after his death. Sam stores, we still have them after his death. Why? Because he understood the importance of best practices. When he came up against a problem, he found someone who had solved a similar problem and got advice from them. So that's, that's a solution to narrow framing. Another solution is to think and, not or. To think and. When you're making your decisions, don't think this or that. Don't think this or that. Because when you said this or that, you have limited your options. So think this and this. Because when you said this and this, you can add another and to it. This and, this and, this and, not this or. There, this or is only two options. Another solution is to acknowledge God. And give him, and ask him for wisdom and direction. Wow. Yeah, ask God. God is all-knowing. There is nothing that he does not know. In Proverbs 3, 5, 6, it says, Acknowledge the, and trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and, and he'll direct your path. You know, think about that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. So listen, you're not out of options because God is never out of options. So ask God for wisdom and direction. And then finally, ask yourself, what are my options? Think through. Thinking through. And that's what we want to learn to do in our leadership. 
to think through what are my options. For example, if a person, let's say you're a boss or a supervisor, and you make decisions right on people who are being hired and people who are fired. Well, let's say you come up to a person who's not performing up to par. If you narrow frame, you will say, I will keep him or her or I'll fire them. Keep him or her or fire. Keep or fire. Keep or fire. Now, that's narrow framing because there may be other options. So you want to think through your options. Maybe another option would be demoting or maybe another option would be reassigning. Maybe there's something else that the person can do. In other words, think about your options. Don't limit your options, and and it'll help you to stay out of this trap. Let's look at the second uh, decision-making trap. It's called confirmation bias. And I bet you fell in this trap. I know I fell in this trap. Confirmation bias Let's look at this. Think confirm is the root of that. Confirmation bias is consciously or unconsciously seeking and selecting information that supports your pre-existing attitude, belief, actions, or desires. I'll give that to you again, and then I'm going to develop it. I've developed it. Confirmation bias is consciously, you're doing it on purpose, or unconsciously or subconsciously seeking and selecting information that supports your pre-existing, pre-exist means to exist ahead of, before, your pre-existing uh, attitudes, your pre-existing beliefs, actions, or desires. I'll explain it further. This, cra- this trap, confirmation bias, causes us to give too much weight to supporting information and less weight or too little weight to conflicting information. When you're operating in confirmation bias, you're giving too much weight to supporting information, and you're giving too little weight to conflicting information. Supporting information is information that supports you and what you have already desired or want it to do. Conflicting information will give you another side to the matter. It'll give you a broader picture. Now listen at this. When we want something to be true, we we spotlight the things that support it. We want it to be true, so we spotlight things that support it. 
our pre-existing belief, our pre-existing attitude, our pre-existing desire. When we have a pre-existing desire, something we want to do it anyway, we tend to look for things that support it, information that support it. But the problem with that is that keep you on one side, it limits your view. Conflicting information gives you a broader picture uh, of the thing that you need to, the information that you need to make a quality decision. So here's, here's, um, here's a proof text. In 2 Chronicles chapter 10, and we, we dealt with this in one of our other episodes. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, and Solomon's successor came to the throne. Solomon had moved on. Solomon had died. And his son Rehoboam came to the throne. The people came to him and said, now listen, we want to serve you. But your daddy, Solomon, was really hard on us. His labor practices were difficult. His taxation uh, was heavy. If you make it light on us, we'll serve you forever. Okay. So real Bohem had two sets of advisors. He had what the Bible called elder advisors who had advised Solomon, and he also had some young advisors who were his peers. He went to the elder advisors, and they said, listen, make it lighter, make it lighter, be kind, be caring, be concerned about their interests, and they'll serve you. But that wasn't what he wanted to do. He didn't want to make it lighter on them. He really wanted to make it heavy on them. So when he went to the younger advisors, they said, no, 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 don't make it light on them. Make it hard on them because they will know you're in charge, you see. And so the Bible says he accepted the advice of the younger advisors. But it was confirmation bias because that's what he wanted to do anyway. In other words, that was what he wanted to do. He wanted to make it harder on the people. So he was actually looking for information that would support what he already wanted to do. And I'm saying that's bad. That's bad decision making. It, key, it closes your mind to conflicting information because conflicting information can give you the full side of the decision that you get ready to make. You don't have to go with the conflicting information, but you need to listen to it. Well, if you have confirm a confirmation bias and fall into this trap, you don't want to even hear that anyway. Now, you may give lip service to what people, are, the feedback people are saying, but really you don't want to do what they that anyway. You've already made up your mind. And if you've already made up your mind about the decision that you're going to make, and then you're looking for someone to confirm it, that is confirmation bias especially when you don't want to hear conflicting information. So what's the solution to confirmation bias? The solution is to not surround yourself. Well, one of the solutions is to not surround yourself with yes men. 
you need to establish a system that allows various perspectives to be expressed. A second uh, solution is to create a climate of candor. In other words, allow people to express various perspectives, even if those perspectives conflict yours. Candor, where people can talk freely without reprimand, freely without ridicule, retribution. You want to have a climate where people can disagree. That's how you break confirmation bias. And then thirdly, consider an outside view, an expert. Go to someone who, who is an expert, someone that's outside, someone that has the expertise. Because an expert, unless they're on your staff or something like that, they're not going to always agree with what you want to do. And some good questions to ask yourself, because I think we've all done it. I think every leader at some point has fallen into the trap of confirmation bias, and even pastors do it too. We, we make up our mind about what we want to do, and we look for people who will confirm it, confirmation bias. We look for people who has a similar view, and when they speak up, we're excited because they confirm what we had already decided or what we wanted to do anyway. That is confirmation bias. So you have to ask yourself a question. You have to ask your question. Is the confirmation a confirmation of what God said to you or is it a confirmation of what you really wanted to do? And you have to be very honest with yourself. Let's look at uh, this third, and I can move through this third one real quick. This third uh, trap, decision-making trap, is short-term emotions. Short-term emotions are simply uh, the short-term emotions trap is simply decisions made in an emotional state. It may be an emotional state of anger or lust or fear or anxiety or guilt or greed or excitement or an opportunity or grief or uh, short-term advantage, pressure, expediency. Your short-term emotion trap is when you make decisions in a highly emotional climate, when you're highly emotional, and that's a trap. Emotions are not a reliable advisor because they crowd out your objectivity. So what are the solutions? And it's simple in this one. Create distance. <laughs> When you're making decisions, but you're very emotional, I see people lose a loved one and they're in a state of mourning or grief or whatever you call it, and they make decisions. They make decisions out of those emotions, give away things that later they wish they hadn't given away. So you create distance. 
take time before you make the decision to allow your emotions to subside, your emotional thinking. Give yourself time for those emotions to decrease. A second solution is evaluate the situation based off your values. What are your values? Evaluate the situation based off your priorities, your vision, the season. If, If you think about it, you can get all excited about an opportunity, but it doesn't fit your season. It may not fit your values, your priorities, but it is an open door and it is exciting and it is an opportunity. You're feeling real good about it, but does it fit your values? Does it fit your priorities? Does it fit your vision? Does it fit the season of life that you're in? Thirdly, and this is similar to... um, uh, uh, one of our other traps. Look at the situation from an observer's point of view. And, and this is, you have to really be intentional about this. Okay. David committed adultery. Nathan the prophet came in, uh, led of the Lord to reprimand David. Now follow me. So so Nathan, the prophet, tells him a little parable. He said, now, King David, there was a rich man who had a lot of uh, 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 wild, uh, had a lot of animals and, and, and cattle and sheep and all that. And there was a poor man who had one little lamb and the whole family loved this one lamb and they treated the lamb like a, a, a member of the family, like a child. And the rich man had a traveler to come in town and the rich man decided to prepare a meal for the guests instead of taking one of his cattle, sheep or uh, goats and prepare the meal, this rich man took the little one lamb that the, that the poor man had and uh, prepared the meal. And David got all upset at that person should be killed. And then Nathan said, you are the man. Well, when Dave, what Nathan was doing, he was forcing David to put himself as an observer. So sometimes we're making decisions, but sometimes we have to remove ourselves and say to ourselves, what would I advise another person to do in this situation? What would I advise another person to do? That's one way to deal with your short-term emotions. Another way would be similar to what I said earlier. Get someone who's outside of the situation, uninvolved with the situation, and that can give you an objective uh, wisdom and insight. The fourth, we have five traps that we're looking at. This trap is easy to see for those under 
leadership, it's easy for them to see, but maybe not as easy for the person in leadership to see, and that's the dictatorship trap. The dictatorship trap is when every decision, large or small, are made by the leader or a small group of leaders. In other words, every decision in the business is made by the CEO or every decision in the church is made by the pastor or a small group of people. That's a dictatorship. And that's easy to understand from a follower's vantage point. So here's the solution. The solution is if there's a dictatorship and you really want to make great decisions, then as the leader, you have to create and constantly reinforce an institutional culture of driving decisions down the organizational chart. The leader has to take the lead in driving, establishing, creating a culture that drives the decisions down the chart, organizational chart. And the basic way you do that as a leader is you Stop making all the important decisions. You just got to stop making all the important decisions. In other words, you have to push back and give decision-making power to subordinates. And you have to also have those who are under you, leaders under you, you have to also uh, create pressure on them to push decisions down the chart. And it's only wisdom because people that are down the organizational chart may have skills that you don't have and you're up in this CO seat, you know what I mean, you're in the pastor seat. And because we're the pastor, doesn't mean we have all skills and all knowledge and all wisdom. That's why God gives us people. So the CEO or the pastor or the business owner or the father, whoever it is up here in, the, in, in charge, there are times when people that are farther down the organizational chart have skills that you don't have. But not only that, they may have experience that you don't have. But not only that, they have proximity to the situation that you don't have. Consequently, they have knowledge and better data than you have because they're right there. And it's only wisdom to drip to drive as many decisions down as possible. Surely there are some decisions that only the CEO can and should make, and there are some decisions that the, only the pastor can and should make, or the business owner can or should make. But listen, you're not going to have buy-in when you're making all the decisions. There's That's a dictatorship. As many decisions as you can push down, you push those decisions, and then you hold on to decisions that only you can make or you should make, and that way you're spreading out the decision-making. And the beauty of that is that people further down or right or right or really connected to the problems that's happening down there and in most cases they're the best people to make the decision because we somewhere in an office somewhere 
not even dealing with the situation, but they're on the floor, as it were, and they're dealing with the situation, so sometimes they're the best place people to deal with it. In closing, I want us to look at a final decision-making trap, and it is called sunk cost bias trap. It is, uh, it is a deep bias, a deep-seated bias that causes us to make choices even though prior choices were the wrong choices. <laughs> a deep-seated bias that causes us to make choices even when past choices were mistakes or no longer seem valid. Okay. In other words, I'll give you two scenarios. You have someone that you hired, but you made a mistake on the hiring. So you're get putting money in it, you're putting time, you're investing in training and all those kind of stuff, but you hired the wrong person. You hired the wrong person. The person cannot do the job that you hired them to do, but you hired them. Now, this can be a little tricky. It can be a little tricky. And that's where you have to have to think in terms of not narrow framing. Either I fire the person or I keep the person. Maybe in this particular situation, rather than trying to keep pouring money, time, and training on this particular job, maybe that person can be reassigned to something else other than just the firing because the person cannot do this job. So no matter how much training, how much money, how much time you put in it, it's not going to change and give that person the capacity to do a job that they just cannot do. They, it doesn't fit the person. So the time, the money, and the training is what is called a sunk cost. On the other hand, maybe it's a project and you made a mistake on the project to keep putting money time and effort in the pro people in the project, but you made a mistake on the front end of the project, then that sunk cost. And to do it and keep doing is a sunk cost bias. And I made a mistake as a pastor. We bought a hospital with the intent of developing it into a clinic and we got in that situation and the renovations was just going to be astronomical. It was so much stuff involved in it. It was a great idea. Uh, I got good advice on the situation. Nobody did anything wrong, but it was a mistake. It was a mistake. We should not because we were in a major building project. In fact, a $26 million project when we bought the hospital and tried to do two projects at the same time. It was a mistake that I made as a pastor. The timing was wrong uh, on that project. It was a mistake. 
So we eventually sold, uh, were able to sell the hospital and recuperate that. But you can't get back time and energy and all that. It was a sunk cost. We tried, wanted to do it, but I looked back and I realized that even though it was the, a great thing and I had excellent people who had a heart for it, it was not something that God wanted me to do. And when I look back at it and I couldn't find out anywhere, I keep a journal where I had been instructed to do that at that time. I wasn't instructed to do that at that time. So we had to pull out of that situation. Warren Buffett said something, uh, and it's consistent with uh, sunk cost bias. Uh, he said, when you find yourself in a hole, the best thing you can do is stop digging. When you find yourself in a hole, the best thing you can do is stop digging. That's great advice. Sometimes we make mistakes. And if it's a, a true-to-life mistake, then no matter amount of money or time and energy is going to change a decision that you never should have made. Now, that can be very tricky, and because it's tricky, rather than just running out doing something, why don't you begin to pray and ask God to give you wisdom on how to deal with this situation? I believe God, the Spirit of God on the inside of you, if you're a believer, this, the Spirit of God has wisdom on how to deal with mistakes. He has some wisdom, and uh, I'm going to, in my next episode, I have a part that I'm going I'm to talk about decision-making advisors, and I'm going to talk about how to bounce back from a bad decision. Listen, I'm glad you spent this time with me uh, today. I trust that you're growing, you're learning. I would suggest that you go back and listen to this information. I believe it's going to be a blessing for you. I pray God's blessings on your life and that you have a wonderful rest of the week.